everybody gets something good out of it. Amen. Amen. James chapter 1, we'll start off. Maddie, you want to read verse number 1 for us? Alright, verse number two. Okay, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Alright, so verse number two, he starts off, I mean the book of James, he starts off by saying, What? Be happy that you're going through a bad Hey, you need to be joyful that you're going through trials and difficult times when you're in God's will. Because when you're in God's will and, and difficult times come about, you know right away it is what? Good. Okay, good. Why would it be good? Why would trials be good? Has, did anyone tell you that when you signed up for Christianity, that trials are going to be a good thing? It's an opportunity to grow in your faith. It's an opportunity to go beyond desiring to know God. It is now to the point where you are experiencing God through trials. It was not till after the Israelites won the battle this morning that they get to experience God as their victor, remember? But they desired and they knew that He was a victorious God, but it wasn't until they went through the battle with Him did they experience it. You see the difference? Here He's saying, count it joy when you go through trials. You have the opportunity to experience God on a deeper level. So don't count it as such a bad thing when you go through difficult times when you're in God's will. Verse number 3, um, Maddie, it gives the reason for it. Just go ahead and finish it off for us if you don't mind. Wow. So, I mean, it gives you the answer right there. Testing of your faith gives you perseverance. And perseverance is what? What, is it? what are we talking about when we talk about perseverance? It's funny. We always use these words in the English and we really don't even know what they mean. What does perseverance really mean? All right. Yeah, getting to go through it. All right. Perseverance. We can live with that. Verse number four. Take us away, Parker. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may... Be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So he talks about being mature and complete and not wanting anything, right? So when we talk about being a mature Christian, it's got to start with you going through trials. Do you realize that? For you to be a mature Christian, you have to go through trials. You have no escape clause through trials. If you're a Christian and you don't go through trials, you are not a Christian. Wait, how could you say that, James? Is that, is that, is that tough for you to say? Well, that's what the Scripture says. Jesus went through trials in his lifetime, not because he did what he wanted to do with his life, but simply because he followed God's will for his life. So when you follow God's will for your life, there will be trials and there will be tribulation, but it's only when you're in God's will. Sometimes we think trials and tribulation is when you get a bad grade. No, trials and tribulation is when you try to stand up for good character and the world says don't. You see the difference, all right? You see the difference. Verse number five, um, Caden Walls, take us away. If you need wisdom, ask. Our generous God, and He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Oh, verse number five says what? He's going to give you wisdom if you ask for it. He's going to give you wisdom if you ask for it. And do you know what? When you're asking for wisdom, what are you ultimately asking for? What are you really doing? Ask Him to help you. Basically, saying, on my own, I don't know the best way to go about it. God, give me guidance. That's what wisdom is doing. A lot of times you ever ask someone, hey, what should I do with my life? And if they don't give you the answer, you're just kind of like, okay, I don't, I'll go to someone else. You ever had that when you're trying to make a decision in life? You kind of just go to whichever friend's going to tell you what you want to hear. And then you're like, man, he gave me good advice. But really it's just because you wanted to do what you wanted to do. You following with me? Here this is something that's different. Asking for wisdom is saying, God, my ways, I don't know. And my ways are not superior. 
I want to know what your ways are. That's what he's talking about in verse number 5. If you go to God with that motive, if you go with God to the motive of saying, whatever you say that I'm going to do with my life, God, I'm going to actually do it, he's going to tell you. He's going to give it to you. Verse number 6. Um, I'm going to... So we talked about a doubting Christian is a what type of Christian? Unfaithful, right? Ineffective. Here he's talking about what's the problem with doubting when you ask God for things? When you ask God for wisdom, what's the problem? He can't give it to you. Why would he give you guidance if you're doubting that it's really from God? He's saying, listen, I can't. You, you, can't, you can't have that. Verse number 7, he says, For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. Does that really sound like Scripture? Don't let that man think he's going to receive anything of the Lord. How many of y'all like to say the verse, ask and ye shall receive, you know, seek and ye shall find. Like it's some sort of equation. If I do this, God's going to give me that. Here he's saying something different. When you truly ask God, give me wisdom for my life so I can actually pursue your will, he will give it to you. But if you try to ask God to give you the things in your life that you just want in your life, and that you kind of twist around and say, well, if you give it to me, I will kind of give you glory for it. And I, and I promise I'll get things right if you give me this. He's saying, I'm not going to give you that. That's not faith. That's doubting. You're not, giving the glory to him. you're not giving glory to him. And you're doubting saying, you only believe I'm God if I give you those things. I can't. That's going to cause you to doubt me. No way. Verse number 8. Carter, take us away. You're on point tonight. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. What does it mean to be double-minded? Two-faced, living in the world and living in God. So he's saying, listen, if you're like that person who asks God for things in your life, and whenever you really peel back the layers, you actually notice it's actually selfish things you ask for God, right? I mean, how many, how many of y'all really do that? I mean, you talk about relationships. Lord, please get them to really like me. You know, this is, I know it's the one, but you've got to change their, their thoughts towards me to like me. You know what I'm talking about? Those types of, those types of prayers or like uh, you know, friend groups or what? I, Lord, if you let me hit a home run today with the scrappers, I promise I'm going to. Yeah. Uh, that never, that, that never happened. Okay, never happened. All right, never happens. Okay. The poor scrapper teams. Okay. All right, so it happened at practice for the scrappers. All right, double binded. Verse number nine, uh, Sandy. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. Let the brother of what? The lowly brother? The lowly brother. Okay. If y'all could please remember, a, a, a few Wednesday nights ago we had a lesson, right? And it talked about two people. And it talked about the destinations of those two people. Here in this verse, who, who does it sound like he's talking about? The beggar. Here he's saying, listen, the brother of low degree, he gets to rejoice because he's going to be exalted. Now the part that's going to be really, really cool, I want y'all to read verse number 10 and 11. And I want y'all to tell me who he's talking about. Um, Cal, you want to read it for us? But the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man will also um, fade away in his pursuits. Even in James, he talks about the rich man and the beggar. The same types of things. Are you satisfied with the temporary things of this world? In verse number 10 through 11, he says, listen, if you're satisfied with the temporary things of this world, it will pass and you will pass with it. You will die with it. And the things that you pursued in this life will have no value. You wasted it. 
But the person of low degree, the person that we might look down upon because he doesn't seem to chase after the things that we would chase after, he's going to be exalted because he pursued the only one that's eternal. You see the major complex that's going on. Verse number 12. I like this. Um, it's a promise. It's a promise to the Christian. Allie, takes what? Verse number 12 is such a promise. If you're a true born-again believer, verse number 12 is such a hold. Because what does verse number 12 tell you? If you patiently wait for God, He is going to bless you. He's with you through the trials. You get to experience them on a level that nobody else does. Like I said, everyone desires to be saved from hell, but not everyone has experienced God as their salvation today. And there's going to be a big problem because there's going to be people at the judgment who are going to be, but I desired you. And he said, it wasn't enough. There's tons of people who desired after me, but it wasn't enough. Here he says something that's very amazing. He says, blessed is a man that endureth temptations, trials. And when he is tried... He received the crown of life, which the Lord has promised. What does it say at the very end? To, love. to those that love Him. Does your life show that you love Christ or love yourself? Does your life show that you love Christ or love yourself? This morning, Pastor Tim said something about you guys, whenever y'all, like decisions that you're making for y'all's career. I don't want y'all to miss something. Whatever y'all decide to do, make sure God's the first part in making that decision. You following with me? You don't make a decision and say, God, I want you to bless me being a nurse. If God said, I didn't want you to be a nurse. You see the issues that goes on with that? Don't put God in such a box. Wait patiently for him to show you and you go. Right? It's trial. It's a, it's a temptation. It's a difficulty whenever you don't know what to do with your life. That is a point where you say, God, show me. And I'm going to wait for you because it matters that much. Verse number 13. Caden, uh, you want to take us away? Uh, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt me. What does that verse say? Hey, we are the cause of our own temptations. Now you understand, there's got to be a difference between trials and temptations. You follow them with me? Trials prove your faith. Trials give you to experience God. Temptation is what? Thank you, right. So he's saying, God does not give you these things so you can fall into sin. That's not God. That's yourself. What did we read in James chapter 4? It said, draw what? Draw near to God? Here, what does he say when temptation comes? In verse number 14, who wants to read it? Take us away, Cole. But each one is tempted when he is carried away so here he says, when you fall on temptations, it's not because you are drawing near to Christ. You are drawing away. You see the terminology? Isn't that amazing? So when you are struggling down temptation, you've got to start asking yourself some questions. Am I drawing away from God? How many of y'all, I mean, let's say, let's say you're being tempted, right? How many of y'all during that temptation really thought about what Christ did on the cross for you? And when you really start thinking about what Christ did on the cross for you, do you follow through with that temptation? See, a lot of times when we go through temptations, it's because we've simply forgotten all what Christ has done for us. And it's these moments where we've drawn away from Him, and we, and we have that fellowship that's broken, and then we go and we follow down through this temptation, right? We go through the path. We said the same thing about circumstances. If circumstances cause you to stumble, stop putting yourself in those situations, in those circumstances, and say, God, save me out of the temptation. And God's saying, what? You just put yourself there. 
You've turned your back on me. I can't bless sin. You actively went there and you're actively testing me. You see the problem? It's very, very cool. Verse number 15. Dustin, you want to read it? Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and, oh, and sin, where it is full grown, gives birth to death. What does verse number 15 tell us? The ultimate path down following temptation, following your own lust, following your own desires is what? Death. death. Eternal death. You are going to reap what you sow. You are going to have to live for eternity with the decisions that you've made in this lifetime. Verse number 16. I like... 16 is cool, right? Kyle, take us away. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Wow. So when we think about falling into sin, falling into temptations, you do realize you're deceived. You do realize that the temporary benefits that you see in the sin that you're about to do is deception. Do you really view temptation like that? Do you really view temptation in the long term? Because if you view temptation in the short term, man, short term benefits, right? It's not that big of a deal. It's just me right here. There's not that many people involved. But the choices you make today will affect your future wife and kids. The choices you make today will affect the future people you interact with. Are you pushing people to Christ or are you dragging them down to hell with you? It's one or two options. I'm tired of, of all the wiggle room. I'm tired of all saying, well, he's a half Christian. He's sometimes good, sometimes bad. Hey, you are either living for Christ or you're living for self. That's what the Bible says. Right? Have we read anything different? Has anyone been the exclusion? Have any of y'all never been tempted? I don't think anyone could raise their hand, right? Everyone will be tempted. Everyone will be tempted. Verse number 17, it says, it means 16, it says, do not be deceived. Verse number 17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. What's it saying in verse number 17? That good gifts come from who? God. So there shouldn't be any sort of question when God does something in your life. Right? What's a perfect gift that God's given in your life? And when I say that, I want you to think about the people that pushed you towards Christ. Have you ever thought about that? Who are people in your life that you were from, from the age that you were born to now have pushed you to Christ? And if there's people during that time period that pushed you towards Christ, closer to Him, those are good gifts. Those are things that matter. Right? So who in this lifetime has pushed you closer to Christ? And if there's people in your life that keep dragging you down, I'm not saying don't ever talk to them ever again, but be cautious when you decide to spend all your time with them. You see the difference? Be cautious when you go to spend all your time with them. Verse number 18. Kayla, okay, you want to take this away? Scrapper boy. He chose to give us birth through, this, to the word, through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Wow, what is, what is the promise in verse number 18? It's kind of like deep, huh? What's it actually saying? What should your life look like? What does verse number 18 say? What should your life look like? If you are in God's will, you will bear fruit in your life. No questions asked. 
No questions asked. So if you say you're a born-again believer and you continue to struggle and your life continually looks like sin, you continue having to reap what you sow, you are not in God's will. Because He says, if you're in my will, if you're in my will, you will bear fruit. And I will use you. Verse number 19. Takes away a million. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So it's kind of like there's some commands in there. Everyone should do what? First what? Swift to what? Here. 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 Now, now that's very interesting, right? Swift to hear is the first thing mentioned. Why is that the first thing mentioned? you got to listen. Okay, so this part that's really cool. Sometimes, really think about this. People go through life and all of a sudden they're blessed or something good happens. And all of a sudden they're like, I know that was from God. But, but they never prayed beforehand. How do you know it's from God? You ever thought about that? A lot of times in marriages you see that. Well, I, I knew God had sent them to me. Did you pray for them before? I, but it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's got to be. For, it's, it's God, right? It's God. Well, if you didn't pray for it, you didn't get to experience what it was like to listen from God and Him give what He said He would give you. Otherwise, you're actually guessing. Never thought about that. How many of us are guessing with our lives instead of saying, "God, where do you want me to go?" And I'll go. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Verse number twenty. Human anger does not produce all the righteousness God desires. Oh, what does that say, Bryson? Human anger does not produce all the righteousness God desires. Hey, you cannot be angry with man and right with God. You cannot be angry at your mom and dad and be right with God. You can't be mad at Kale and right with God, alright? It's difficult. <laughs> sure. Verse number 21. Um, Brian, go ahead. Take us away. 21. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Wow. Okay. Verse number 21 is great, right? Because it starts off by saying what? You have to get rid of what? You have to get away from it. You have to repent. Remember, you were drawn away. You walked away. You follow temptation. So when you want to get right with God, you've got to leave that behind you and turn back to Him. Draw close to Him again. Because He's saying something that's really crazy there. If you think about it, how are you going to accept the Word of God? You've got to be what? What's the, what's the word it used in there? What is it? Alright, yeah. What, what other ones? What's it saying there? Humble, meek, teachable, right? And to be humble is to do what with yourself? Submit. My way is, is, is not the right way. I see that now. God, show me the right way now. So here he's saying, listen, if you, gotta, if you want to know what true submission is, it means going away from the temptations that you followed after. It means truly putting your temptations behind you and drawing closer to God. Verse number 22, it's a call to action. Peter, do you want to read it? But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. This is the second time we hear that phrase at the end, what? Fooling yourselves. Deceiving yourselves. If you want to deceive yourself, listen tonight to this message and don't apply it this week. And every single one of y'all will be deceived. 
all of y'all would be what considered foolish. I believe what another thing is what it would say. Now, why would it be considered foolish? Because it's never enough just to hear the Word of God, to listen to the Word of God. It's everything to do it, to actively show it. It's not enough to desire God to be your Savior, but it is enough to experience Him as your Savior. You see the difference? Verse number 23, Joshua, my brother. Verse number 24 also. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, straight forth, forgetteth what manner of man. Alright, here we go. I'm going to give you the example real quick. So let's say I have a mirror right here. We'll go this route. I have a mirror right here. And all of a sudden, you know what? When I wake up in the morning, I read my Bible, and I read James chapter 1. And I say, you know what? Today I've actually got to start doing the Word of God. i got to, I got to get away from temptation. And I look, that, look myself in the mirror, and I'm like, you know what, James? Today's the day. Today's the day. I desire to be more like God. I'm going to try and be like more like God. And then I walk away from that mirror, stub my toe walking out. I stumble across the door. It's dark. I fling the lights on as I do, and notice I, I didn't even shave half my face. Okay? And then all of a sudden, I'm stumbling to my car. I go ahead and get in the car. I'm like, you know what? I turn it on. Gas is half full, and I'm like, dang it, I hit the car or whatever, and then I drive like Maddie, and then I get to work, luckily. <laughs> and, then I get to, and then I get to work or whatever, and I'm at work the whole day, I'm in a bad mood, and I say, I gotta get my coffee before I even talk to anybody. I get my coffee, and come to find out it's not that great coffee. Didn't have much caffeine in it, had a terrible day at work, I talked to no one at work. I don't even do my work well. I get back home, eat a good meal, and I pray, and I say, Dear Lord, the day was yours. <laughs> because this morning I said I was going to give it to you now God is sitting there saying you fool you deceived I wonder how many times you've come up onto a youth night a youth Bible study and you've left deceived because you looked yourself in the mirror you, you examined yourself and said I'm going to go that route and tomorrow you decided I'm going to go God's route and then I said nope my way's better and all, of a sudden you, and, and all of a sudden, Christianity is all viewed as highs and lows, highs and lows, highs and lows. Oh, the youth group's dying? Let's send them on a retreat. The youth group's dying? Let's send them to a little bayou rally. Oh, the youth group's dying? Let's send them to camp. They're dying not because God's changing, but because you are. You keep being inconsistent. You're drawing away from your own lust. If it takes camps, if it takes retreats, if it takes special moments for you to get back right with God, I doubt you really have a relationship with God Almighty. Because you're just like the man who looks himself in the mirror and says, God, today is yours, lives his own life, and at night says, God, your glory. To God be the glory, right? It's kind of like the, the sports star athlete. It's only when he does good that he says, give all the glory to God. Right? Final verse, we'll keep going. Close out. Verse number 24. For he forgets what he was, they forget their roots. Verse number 25 through 27, we'll, we'll go really quick because I've got a two minute drill, two minute drill, at least one thing as well. But if you look carefully into the perfect law and sets you, and that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Alright, so that's actually talking about Christian what? Christian liberty. You are freed from the bondage of sin. 
Why would you return to it? A dog eats his own vomit. A human doesn't. Why do you keep going back to your own vomit? You see the problem? That's actually, that's actually they use in the scriptures that. A dog returns to his vomit and eats it up, right? Now that's gross, right? Because that was filth inside of him that he had to get out. It was causing himself to be what? Sick. And he gets it out and what a fool the dog is to then go, right? Right back to the vomit. How many of y'all went back to your own vomit? I hope not. Please, please don't raise your hand if you did. Please, I don't want to know. Ben, have you tasted your own vomit? No. All right, all right, good, okay, good, good. I don't know if he went back and... All right, all right take his leg, verse 20, 26, we're about to close out, we're about to close out. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religious is worthless. All right, verse number 26 says, if you what? Claim, claim. I desire. I, 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 I had a moment. I, I claim to know God, but if your words don't line up with your actions, you deceive your own self. And your religion is what? Worthless. Worthless. And really, truly, religion is a good thing when it's practicing what God taught. Religion's a bad thing when it's rules that you believe that you have to follow to be right with God. First number. 27. Oh, it actually gives the answer right here. What does it say about pure, pure religion? Uh, pure and genuine, genuine religion in the sight of God of the Father means caring for orphans and widows and their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So verse number 27 tells you what your Christian life should look like. Pure religion is a good thing when it does these things. Which is interesting. Do you know what the, the two things it really says right there? What is it? Orphans and widows. What does that mean? To do what? You care for others. And when I say care for others, like for instance, this Wednesday night, you're going to have the opportunity to bring someone with you. You've had thousands of opportunities to bring people with you. You've had thousands of opportunities to tell people what you're experiencing. You can have thousands of opportunities to tell your family what you've been experiencing. So here he's saying, listen, do you care enough to tell someone? Do you care enough to care for other people? And to keep yourself, what does it say from the world? Don't let the world corrupt you. Don't let the world corrupt you. James chapter 1, guys. That's James chapter 1. Y'all, 